Hello, Woodland Hills family. As I said before, I'm Greg. I'm really glad to be here this week. Uh, as some of you know, I was gone last week, thanks to Dan stepping up at the last minute and, and uh, filling in, doing such a great job. In fact, my message is going to build a little bit off of uh, some of the things he said. But I really appreciate that. Uh, if you're ever wondering if the universe is uh, fallen, if you if you doubt that doctrine, that, that uh, the earth is corrupted, nature is corrupted, well, then I encourage you to get a kidney stone because nothing will convince you of the fallenness of the universe faster than a kidney stone. Uh, it was not a pleasant time for me. Uh, it was pretty, pretty brutal, actually. Uh, it's a rather painful affair. And they give you meds for the pain, of course, but uh, I don't get the opioid epidemic. Those things cork you up so fast, it's ridiculous. That's worse than the kidney stone, if you ask me. So anyways, it was a miserable week. You can fill in the blanks. Hey, so we're in week, what is it, seven, week eight of the pandemic? Something like that? Are y'all going stir-crazy? Buggy? Nuts? It's a... Uh, it, it's just, it's, you know, us introverts aren't that bothered by it, but let's pray for the extroverts. That must be so difficult, but it's hard for all of us. What makes it even harder is that, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of folks are going through financial hardships. I read this, this uh, uh, report that was saying that small businesses in America, those mom and pop shops, which constitute a big part of our economy, some, over half of them are not going to survive this. Uh, that's what this report was estimating. It may be as much as, as, as four out of five aren't going to survive this, or they're going to have to have some kind of major reboot, even with the stimulus packages or whatever. So these are hard times. Not just frustrating times, but they can be really hard. And uh, I just encourage you to hang in there. We'll get through this. It will end, but it's, 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 not, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not easy on a number of different levels. Um, there's a lot of things I miss about <laughs> that, that are not present with COVID. The number one being, I really miss you guys. Honestly, it's a lot funner preaching when there's a bunch of people here and you're hearing some amens once in a while and, and, and whatever, and, and there's an energy there. And not to dismiss you seven people that are here today, well, it's wonderful, but I have to just close my eyes and imagine, but it's, it's easier. I, I miss people, the regular folks I see every week, and, and I don't know, it's catching up, and I, I look forward to getting back to that. Uh, and we can gather together. Um, and, but as I said, in the meantime, I'm just proud of the way we're staying faithful. We're staying on, on our program. We're not missing a beat. And, and we're just doing the kingdom. Instant, in season, out of season. Whatever comes along. Um, kids, here's your assignment. Uh, I, I'm going to give you an assignment here. And, and, and as, as Shauna mentioned, um, during my message, uh, you can maybe think about ways of artistically expressing this. It can be drawings. You can draw this if you want. Uh, you can do sculpture or whatever. Just take a picture of it and send it to us in the next 40 minutes, and uh, we'll show it at the end of the service. Uh, but let me set up the assignment by talking about a story. So kids, listen to the story, and then you can tune me out. Uh, it just kind of sets the whole thing up. So, so I don't like to toot my own horn very much. I'm a really humble guy, actually. It's part of my greatness. But I, 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 it, it's a little known fact that, that I, back in 1972, I was quite the athlete. That's not that long ago, if you think about it. It's hard even a half a century. I, 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 was, a, I was a stud. Eighth and ninth grade, I grew faster than everyone else, so I had kind of an advantage, and, and I was in track, and I was a half miler, and I went two years being undefeated. Two years. Not, in fact, no one even came close. <laughs> I didn't want to brag too much, but I was just in a class by myself for the most part until the end. Now, the last race of ninth grade, so eighth and ninth grade, not a single loss, blew everyone away. Yay, me! Then we had our championship in 1972, Park Junior High School versus Oatman Junior High. And this was the big one because this is the one they actually let the classes out for the kids to go and watch. So now people could see how great I am. This is my chance to shine. 
championship. I was racing against Marty Schnickelberger. Hi, Marty. I hope you're listening. I love you. You're fine. Whenever I, I forgive you for what you did to me that day. Uh, yeah, I'd beat him three times before in the previous two years. I would get so far ahead. He had a great kick, but he could never quite catch up to me because I was so far ahead. But on this race, he didn't let me get so far ahead. This was the championship. And so I took off, and he, I hear his clanking behind me, so I go faster and faster because i got to lose that guy. That's my, I, I run people in the ground. That's, my, that's the way I do it. So I go faster and faster. But he, this guy sticked out, stuck on me like a tick on a dog. How's that, Shauna? Shauna, I was looking for a good expression. She gave me the southern expression. Or is it a tick on a hound? He stuck on me like a tick on a hound. Oh, yeah. He t- wouldn't give me an inch. Uh, we ran our first lap almost as fast as I could run a first lap. My 400 time best was 57. We ran a 58, and I got a whole, whole other lap to go. And so I push it and push it and push it and push it. And, but then it comes to the last 150 yards of the race or so, and I'm turning to lead. It's like, if you, it's like you're going in slow motion. Oh, oh, it's just, oh, I'm hurting so bad. And old Marty Schnickelberger then blows past me and ends up, he ended up getting a 206 in the half mile. That's an 880-yard dash. What 14, 15-year-old does that? I mean, his previous best was like 214. My previous best was 212, and I had about a 210 or something, which is my record, but he just blew me away. So I was really discouraged. My first loss, this is it. And see, when you're in ninth grade, you don't realize what a small pool you're competing against. You you didn't realize that you're just a big fish in a very small pond. So you think that you're going to be Olympic grade or whatever. Now, I learned that lesson the next year, but that's a different country western song and talk about a different sermon. But uh, um, it just blew my bubble that I, I lost here. So I, the thing was, I had another race to do. I had to do a 4x4 four four relay, 4x400 four relay. I was the third leg of that. And the way the, the track meet was, was, was panning out is that it was going to come down to that final race. Uh, I had about a 45-minute rest between my half mile and this 4x4, four four, but I didn't feel like running. I lost my mojo. I was pouting. I was feeling sorry for myself. Poor me. Oh, my bubble had been burst. I did not have any gumption to go and race again. So I go to my coach, and I start making up these lame excuses. Coach, I think I've got a strain, strain of this, and this isn't feeling right, and I'm kind of this, and I might throw up. And he just looks at me, and he goes, he goes, no, 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 no. Uh, he's, he wouldn't listen to it. He goes, Greg, I know you. You're not a quitter. You're not a quitter. You're a winner. And a winner isn't the, the winner, listen to this. This is, this is a good point. A winner isn't the one who never loses, because everybody loses at some time. The winner is the one who, when you lose, you don't quit. You get back up. It's not about not losing. It's about not quitting when you lose. So you get back in there. Greg, you're our guy. He says, we believe in you. We chose you for a reason. You're up to this. You got this. In fact, use being mad at, at, at losing your last race to redeem some of that in this one. I, yeah, they, they, they could win a race, but you're not going to let them win the championship. You're going to get that back. And so he just pumped me with this thing. Get mad. Get even. Not necessarily the exact perfect Christian message maybe, but, but it worked in sports. So I got in there and ran the third leg, and I, I kicked butt. Uh, we were 15 yards behind uh, when I got it, and by the time I handed it off to our final anchor person, I was about a half a second behind the first place person, and our guy was able to take their guy, and we won the championship. Yay! And the coach, yeah, you know, we'd give you the team talk afterwards, really gave a lot of accolades to me for, even, you know, I, I was discouraged and down, but I got back in there, and, and he credited winning the championship with that. So I felt really good. It didn't take away the sting of, uh, of losing, but, but it, it, it felt good. Because kids doesn't always feel good when the parent or the guardian or whoever is in authority, they say, well done, good job. I knew you could do it. You didn't think you could do it, but I knew you could. And then you come through and do it. Have you ever had times where uh, it's been like that, where maybe a parent or guardian uh, saw something in you that you didn't see? 
said, you can do this, even though maybe you didn't think you could. Maybe it's riding the bike for the first time or getting an A on a test or whatever it is. The thing is, you know that your parents or your guardians love you as you are unconditionally. You don't, their love doesn't go up when you do great things. It doesn't go bad, down when you do bad things. The love is there. But still, you like to, it feels good to please your parents to say, and please your guardians to be able to say, here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's a good thing. And what we're going to see is the same old truth with God. God's love is unconditional. It's there. It's solid, unwavering, eternal. Boom. It's there. But we're not just created to be recipients of love. We're created to be doers. And, 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 and actually, with God, with God's help, achievers, we're supposed to accomplish things. Our life is supposed to count. And, and so we're to live with this, this uh, goal of, of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Put a smile on God's face. So, so kids, here's the artistic uh, assignment. What, puts a gal, uh, what, what, what could you do? What kind of things could you do uh, that would put a smile on God's face, that would allow you to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Think of the, the, the kids in, in your school, the tasks that you got to do? What kind of things would make God smile? And will you commit to doing those as you're uh, uh, expressing this artistically? All right, there you go. Now, adults, we're going to be looking to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It's this parable of the talents, as it's called. Um, I'll get there in a second. I first would like to give a sort of preliminary teaching about parables, because the parables are among the most misunderstood, misinterpreted uh, segments of all scripture. Um, so here's two common misinterpretations of parables. Number one, people tend to assume that the authority figure in the parable is supposed to reflect God. Uh, a lot of Jesus' parables have a king or a landowner or a judge or a lawyer or whatever, some big cat, you know, the high and mighties. In fact, a lot of his parables involve folks like that. And so people assume, well, that, that's the God figure in these parables. And the parable's point is to teach us something about what God is like. Now, if you have that assumption, well, it could be disastrous because here's the thing. Some of those authority figures in Jesus' parables aren't very nice. In fact, the authority figures in Jesus' parables act about the way that authority figures in Jesus' day typically acted. The landowners, the judges, the lawyers, uh, the kings, they, they were nice people. They used their power and privilege to their advantage at the expense of the oppressed people, of the peasants. And so Jesus uses these figures, but he describes them just as they are in, 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 in Jesus' day. If you're looking for those things to indicate what God's like, well, good luck, because in one parable, God is like an unjust judge. Or the, the, he talks about an unjust judge uh, who doesn't want to hear this ca uh, case from this, this, this widow. Is God really like that? If you, if you think God's supposed to be indicated by these authority figures, you'd have to say yes, but I submit to you that God's nothing like that. Uh, there's another parable where the, the king throws a wedding and somebody shows up and doesn't have the proper garments, so he throws them outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that really what God's like? Uh, there's one parable where God, this one king forgives this debt that a servant owes, but then that servant turns around and isn't grateful. So now the king revokes his forgiveness and puts the guy in a torture chamber. Is that really what God's like? I don't think you want to go there. In the parable we'll be looking at here, it's not the worst of them, but, but, but even here, this, this guy looks kind of like a mafia boss, because if you don't double what the money he's given to you, well, then you're going to be thrown out, there'll be weeping of gnashing of teeth, kind of like a mafia boss. You double my money or else you're going to get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, something like that. Offer you can't refuse. So, so be careful about that. The thing is, Jesus uses these, 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 these figures as teaching props. In fact, parables are a little bit like, like, like jokes. Uh, the punchline is the important point, and everything there is a prop for the punchline. Uh, teaching about God is rarely the punchline of any of these parables. Uh, Jesus uses these folks because these are the folks that people are, are familiar with. 
The decisions of the fat cats, the big shots, the power brokers, they affect the lives of these peasants every day. And it's, it's the common denominator of peasantry. We are the people who those fat cats take advantage of. And so they tell stories about the fat cats. And they have illustrations about them. Not to condone what they're doing, but also not to condemn it, though they all think it's unjust. But that's just how they do. That's just how they do. So when you come across authority figures and parables, you could almost add, most of the time you could add, like you do, like you do. Like the king sent forth his army to slaughter the people of the vineyard, like kings typically do. The judge wouldn't want to hear the case of that widow like the judges of those, those days typically did. The king threw the guy out arbitrarily, doesn't have the right kind of garment, because that's how kings were. Now, they're not saying that they should be that way, but that's just how they were. So Jesus draws lessons out of that. The lessons are not about God. The lessons are about us. What kind of attitudes and actions should we take given the situation of this world? So number one, don't interpret the authority figure as being of God. You'll know when Jesus is talking about God because A, he says he's talking about God, and B, because it doesn't look anything like the kings and the lords and the lawyers and the power brokers of the day. Uh, his audience, I think, would have no trouble understanding, distinguishing between when he's talking about God and when he's not because... Well, when he talks about God, it looks like the, 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 the shepherd going out for the lost sheep or the lady looking for the lost coin or the father of the prodigal son looking him back gracefully. It doesn't look like the power brokers of Jesus' day. Second thing, mistake that people often make is that they assume that, that uh, the rewards and punishments that are spoken of in the parables, they assume that those are eternal, that that, that represents heaven and hell. And the reason a lot of modern Western folks think that is because in modern Western Christianity, about the only thing people are worried about is heaven and hell. The contemporary Western gospel has been largely reduced to a message about how to get to heaven and avoid hell. And to call that a reductionistic version of the faith is, is an is a understatement. But since that's what contemporary Christians think the gospel is about, we project that onto the Bible. And so whenever it talks about rewards and punishments, they think, oh, it's talking about heaven and hell. But here again, uh, it, 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 it just doesn't fit. It, it, it doesn't land. And a lot of these parables, the punishments and rewards, can't, they're not eternal. Most people think heaven and hell are, are eternal and unending and, and, and there's no transition once you're there. But in these parables, like Jesus says, in, or in some of these teachings in Matthew 5, Jesus says, hey, when, you're, when you have a disagreement, try to reconcile that right away while you're walking alongside your brother. Because if you don't reconcile it then, it might keep on growing and then you get thrown into prison and then you're not going to get out until you pay the very last penny. Now you will get out, but it's, he's saying it's going to be harder then than it is now. It just doesn't fit into uh, the, the kind of typical kind of eschatology. The thing is, is that uh, there's nothing in the parables themselves that suggests that this is unending. And most of the parables suggest that it's not unending. It's, it's a temporal sort of, 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 of punishment that's there. Folks, when they hear this phrase, weeping of gnashing of teeth, and we'll see that that's true in the uh, parable that we're going to be looking at here, they think it refers to the pain of people in hell, suffering forever and ever and ever. The thing is, if you look at that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, you look how it was used in the Old Testament, it never denotes pain. It denotes anger or frustration and maybe regret. It didn't go your way, but it doesn't denote pain, and there's nothing to suggest that it's there uh, forever. So the theme here is that you find in the parables is this, that being faithful, faithful with God leads in the way, you're going in the direction of life, whereas being unfaithful, you go in the direction of death. And obviously that has implications for life after death, but the focus of the Gospels is on here and now. It's changing the roads that you're on that lead to those consequences, and the call of the gospel is to change those roads here and now. If parables aren't about God, not most of the time, they're about us, and they're about us in the here and now. 
So with that in mind now, let's read this parable, Matthew 25. Parable of the talents. Here's uh, what he says. He says, starting with verse 14, and I'm reading the TNIV version, uh, which is, I thought, the best version out there, but they no longer print it. So there you go. Any version will do. You'll follow. That's not quite true. Uh, if you have a paraphrase, don't try to follow it. Okay, here we go. Verse 14. We stop getting me off track. Okay, I'm trying to focus here. That's, all right, so that is one advantage, I guess. There are a lot less distractions. I haven't had a crying baby in eight weeks. <laughs> a miracle here. Hallelujah. Uh, there you go. Okay, so again, I just censored a bunch of jokes because, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey. Okay, this is a landowner here, a wealthy guy, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Note that he really entrusts his wealth to them. That concept there means you put under someone's authority. You're not, they're not going to suspend it for you uh, under your direction. You give it to them to be decision makers. Okay, so he entrusts his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag each according to their ability. Now, the bag of gold there, that is, in, in the Greek, it's a talent. And that is a, a large sum of money, actually. It's, a, uh, it's, it's about what an, a, a peasant could expect to earn in a lifetime. Okay, that's, that's that bag of gold. Uh, and so this landowner must have been very, very wealthy. But what's remarkable is that he gives five lifetimes of wages to one of his servants, and he trusts them with it. Say, hey, spend this wisely and, 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 and make some money for me. And then he gives another two lifetimes of wages and another one lifetime of wages. And even the guy with one, that's a lot of money. Point being, I guess, that we're entrusted with more bags of gold, more say-so than, than, than we probably would have uh, expected. But then we find this. He says, but after a long time, oh, so, so uh, then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And, but the guy who had one bag of gold went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. So the first two, uh, they, they, they do what uh, they're asked to do. They're what they're, what they, the, the boss expects them to do. We know that in those days, the landowner would entrust money to some of his higher servants in order to make money. The first two did that. They were aggressive. They hustled. They put the money to work. And so when he returns, they, they, they approach him with a sense of pride. Look, you gave me five and I've got five more for you. You gave me two and I've got two more for you. And each of them here equally, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, we read it here. It goes, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts. Uh, with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought, the, uh, brought uh, his other five, and he said, Master, you entrusted me with five, and see, I've gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of a lot of things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you said you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done. A good and faithful servant, you've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, enter, in, 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 and share your master's happiness. So they both equally hear, good and faithful, well done. They both equally have a share in the master's happiness, which tells you that it's not about how much you have or how much you've been given. It, what matters is what you do with what you've been given. They equally got the same reward. But the third guy, not so much. He says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, and he said, Master... I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He's basically saying, I know that you're a thief. If you want to get along with your boss, you might not want to start your conversation that way. Just a little 
I won't charge extra for that piece of advice. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you know that I'm a thief, huh? Is that true? Well, well then, he says, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. What he's saying there is this. If I am such a thief, I'm a terrible person, well, even then you should have at least gone to the bank and, and, and put it there instead of the ground where I could have got some interest. What he's saying is you didn't show the, put the least bit of effort into this. You didn't even try. And so he's ticked off. He says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For those who have, those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. They're going in the direction of life. As for those who have not, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, like you do when you're a landowner. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be other opportunities um, uh, in, in the future, but right now, this person's going to have weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's cut out from the, 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 the money-making deal, and they suffer accordingly. And so, this, this, this third person, this uh, unfaithful servant, um, had a totally different attitude towards his boss than the first two. The first two, there must have been a, like a track record because he gives them quite a bit of money, so they must have proven themselves faithful in little before because now he's giving them quite a bit. And as they prove faithful in this, he gives them more. This third guy, however, he only got one bag. Maybe it was his first time or maybe he just hadn't impressed the boss before. Who knows what? But he saw his boss as, as this mean person therefore lived in fear and therefore wanted to hide it in, in, in the ground. And... Uh, and therefore, what, what the little he had was taken from him uh, and given to the one who already had it. So how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? The, the main takeaway, I think, is this, folks. Um, God has entrusted us with say-so. And the say-so he's entrusted with us is more than we would probably think. I think our ability to affect what comes to pass... Uh, for better or for worse, is much more than we think it is. Because we don't see the long-term effects of our decision-making. He's entrusted us with say-so. Money is really, with a bag of gold or whatever symbol you want to use, it's just a, a representative of say-so. When you've got money, you've got ability to influence things and get more of what you want, right? That's what say-so is. So this parable is about the landlord taking his incredible say-so, his bags of gold, and now entrusting them to the say-so of the servants. He's putting his say-so, his ability to make a difference, under the authority of the ability to make a difference of his people, of his servants, expecting them to multiply it and, 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 and to grow it. And he gives to each according to their own ability, which means that God gives it to you because he knows that you're up to it. Uh, this owner had apparently observed their ability in times past, and so he trusted them to handle five, two, and one. And the first two came through, the third one did not. Uh, let them down. But, but we're to know that God has genuinely entrusted us with say-so. God's not going to unilaterally call all the shots. God wants to do everything, including spreading his kingdom on this planet in partnership with others. And so he calls on us to be his partners. He calls on us to trust him. And he entrusts us with some of his say-so, ability to make a difference in this world. And all the difference that we're called to make always reflects some form of Calvary, some form of God's self-sacrificial love. What's crucial, folks, is that we understand that this partnership with God thing, this say-so that he's given to us, we have to see it as a get-to-do, not so much as a got-to-do. It's a get-to-do. It's an invitation. God is graciously sharing power with us. God is graciously inviting us to be partners with him. Uh, 
It means God believes in us. He believes in us. He trusts in us. He invites us to partner with him in changing the world. He invites us to partner with him in saving souls. He invites us to partner with him in being ambassadors of Jesus Christ and putting on display the character of the Father and pushing back the kingdom of darkness and standing up for justice and, and, and feeding the hungry and housing the homeless and siding with the oppressed. Uh, he wants to do all of that in partnership with us. And so he genuinely entrusts us with this. It means that there are a ton of things that God would like to do but that will not get done Unless his people, you and me, unless we agree with him. Unless we agree to be the means by which he does those things. God has entrusted remarkable authority to us. We get to do this. We get to be God's partners. It is a privilege because it means we get to grow in our capacity to be Christ-like. We get to grow in our capacity to, to, to reflect God's love. As we're faithful in little, God makes us faithful in much. We, we grow in that. And that's a get-to thing, not a got-to thing. But see, here's the thing. It all comes down to your picture of God. You can... It's something about religion. It has a way of just taking a get-to and turning it into a, an ugly got-to. Taking a privilege and turning it into an onerous burden. It has to do with your picture of God. Um, you see, if, if, if it's like this third, this third servant. He, he saw his boss as just this nasty thief. This nasty thief. And maybe his boss actually was that way because the point of the parable isn't to talk about the boss. All right? It's, it's, no, no. But, it's, but that's how he saw him. It's where he responded accordingly. And it's the, it's the same thing. When people have got an ugly picture of God or a taskmaster picture of God, when they're motivated by fear, and that's what religion always does, then you live your life not trying to put a smile on God's face and, and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You live your life just trying not to take a hit. You just want to survive. You want to avoid the wrath of God. How many people are motivated to believe what they believe and do what they do because they don't want to confront the wrath of God? And if that's your dominant motivation, it's going to knot you up. It's not going to lead to an abundant life where you're wildly, you're, you're acting like those first two servants who are aggressively investing your boss's say-so and taking some adventurous risks and out there really doing it passionately. You're not living to put a smile on God's face. No, if, if, if that's your picture of God, you're afraid of God. And so you're going to take, you're going to be, end up sitting on a bag of gold. All your potential to make a difference in this world, that fear is going to constrict you. You're never going to be all that God knows you can be because you're hiding in the ground. You're fearful. If, if Jesus came to free us from anything, he came to free us from that conception of God and that way of doing life. Because that is not abundant life. <laughs> That's not abundant life. Uh, Jesus, he reveals a God who is just altogether different from, from religion. The God that Jesus reveals, oh, this is the, the God who does everything possible to save us, uh, to pay any price to redeem us, to reconcile us, to transform us, and to turn us into faithful covenant partners of his. And this is a God then who invites us to, to partner by him sharing his power with us. It's, it's, it's a gracious God. It's a get-to God a thing. And he does that because he says, I know that you're up to it. Not on our own power. It's, it's not that we can do this on our own. God's going to say, okay, I'm leaving this category for things to you and I'm not going to deal with it. We, in fact, apart from Christ, we can do nothing of kingdom value because of the fall and all of that. But with Christ, all things are possible. Amen. Somebody say amen. Oh, yes, I hear it. I feel like getting one of those machines where you can just kind of have, like they do in those old comedies where you have piped in laughter. We should have, this is my chance to get an amen in church. I've always wanted a real amen in church. You know, come on, bring it on. Well, now I can have it. I just have to have it artificially. Surround all these speakers in here. We'll have amen, hallelujah. And then you can laugh at my jokes. Oh, this would be great. This would be better than a live audience. <laughs> all right. Okay, I, I, I'll take that back. See, here's the thing. God believes in us. He says, you're up to this. Not on our own, but with Christ we can do all things, right? And, and Christ is always with us. And so God knows that the we is us and God. He says, we can do this. He doesn't want to do it solo. He wants to do it with us. In fact, 
according to the Bible, we're going to be doing it with God on this earth for all eternity. We're going to reign with him, so we better get used to it. And our job is this. If, it's like with me. If the coach believes in me and I don't believe in myself, well, my job then is to borrow the coach's confidence in me and run that race as passionately as I can run it. Our job is to believe what God says. And, 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 and then out of the love that we have for God, out of what he has done for us and who he's revealed himself to be, out of love and appreciation for that, well, then we want to live a life that puts a smile on his face for the same reason that spouses should want to live a life that puts a smile on their spouse's face and kids want to put a smile on their, their parents' or guardians' face. It's a natural thing when you're in love. That's why Paul says that it's the love of Christ that urges us on, 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ, that's the fear of the wrath. Yeah, that, that's true, we avoid the wrath, but what motivates us is the love of Christ. Put a smile on God's face. And see, I think if we're thinking about it rightly, then... Our living life to try to, because I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It should be as pure and as healthy and as beautiful as when a child is going to do their best because they want to hear the parents say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, I sometimes wonder if, if we've been so passionate, and we need to be passionate about this, but about really getting people to see that God is this pure, beautiful, unwavering, unconditional, eternal love, that God loves like the rain falls and the sun shines. We're really big on that because that's the foundation for everything. But see, sometimes I think perhaps we are so big on that that we forget, we forget that there's a whole... We're not just created to be loved. That's wonderful, good, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But we're created to be doers, to be activists, to be engaged, to have a life that's meaningful, to be part of a story. And all the fullness of the love, that's what motivates this. And the love is unconditional, but what we do with our life can please or displease our Abba Father, just as true of our earthly relationships. Now our job is to want us to put a smile on his face. face. Now here's the thing, is that God calls us to this because he knows we're capable of this, and he's trusting us to do it. Just like the landlord in this parable. He has faith in us. The thing is, is that the faith that God has in us often conflicts with the faith we have in ourselves. God says you're this, but we see in our mind, no, I'm not that, that's not me. Like when the coach says, hey, you're our man, Greg, you're, you're the guy. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm a loser. I, I lost it. He had to remind me who I am and what I'm capable of. Now, this is normal because you find this throughout all over the place in Scripture where God says of somebody, you're this, and the person says, no, I'm not. God's valuation of us often conflicts with our, the, the fallen image that we've gotten from the world around us. And so, like, for example, Moses. Love Moses. What a character. Uh, and, and, and God calls Moses, you know, the burning bush and says, hey, here's the deal, Moses. Uh, I want you to go down and, and talk to the leaders of Israel and, and they'll believe you. Tell them Yahweh sent you and you're going to lead them out of, e out of Egypt. And Moses goes, uh, what if they don't believe me? And God says, I just told you they will. But Moses is like, well, what if they don't? So the guy in God shows him a couple tricks, three tricks. And he says, pull off these tricks and that will convince him. And if, oh, I got, he's saying, Moses, I, I can pull this off. Will you just trust me? But then Moses says, well, no, I, I still can't do it because I, I stutter. I have a speech impairment. And God in, in Exodus 4 is kind of frustrated. He goes, Moses, I'm the creator. No one gets a stutter or is mute or is deaf or anything else that's under my watch. Okay, I think I can handle this. Moses still, however, just couldn't accept that God was calling him to this incredible position. So God, God finally had to accommodate Moses' weakness and he let Aaron, his brother, do all the talking. And God's gracious in that kind of way. Moses just wasn't ready for it. But it shows you how God, God saw something in Moses that Moses himself didn't see. You see the same thing in Judges uh, uh, 6 when God calls Gideon. Gideon, if Moses was a character, well, then Gideon is a, 
super character on steroids. Read about Gideon. It just shows you how low God had to go to work with somebody. So here's Gideon, and Gideon's a coward, and he's hiding out in this little wine press because he's afraid of the Moabites, who are the enemies of Israel. And, and all the Israelites are all in hiding. They're in lockdown because <laughs> the Moabites are out there. We got COVID-19. They had Moabites. And so, so God shows up to Gideon and says, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of God. And the scripture doesn't say this, but you have to imagine Gideon going, who are you talking to? And, and, and then Gideon says, Where, where's God been? Why has God abandoned us? Why doesn't God answer our prayers? And, and with this angel of the Lord, who's really a theophany, the representation of God himself, the angel responds basically by saying, uh, well, I'm here talking to you now, so I clearly haven't abandoned you, and as for prayer, you're the answer. You're it. You're the man. I'm going to rise up to answer those prayers. Which, and I won't charge extra for this either, but, but if, you're, if you're willing to pray a prayer, you've got to be willing to be the answer to that prayer. Okay, just think about that. Um, if at all possible. And be open to the possibility that God would call you to be the answer to that prayer. And so here again, God sees something in Gideon that Gideon himself could not see. And God had to teach him a lot of lessons and uh, whatnot to, 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 to get him to the point where he wanted him. But it's, it's, it's the same thing is true with us. Uh, the Lord comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ and says, you're righteous. But I got a lot of voices in my head that says, what a joke. Uh, the Lord comes to you and says, you're a mighty warrior. But you got, maybe have voices in your head that says, I'm a wimp. Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a coward. I chicken out. I, I, uh, the Lord comes to you and says, you are faithful. Uh, you've got faithful DNA running through you, but, but you've got voices in your head that says, I've never been faithful to anybody. I'm a screw-up. The Lord comes to you and says, you're my special beloved child, but you've got voices in your head that says, I'm not special to anybody. The Lord comes to you and says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you've got voices in your head that says, I can't do anything, no matter who strengthens me. I'll just let you down. The Lord comes to you and says, I'm entrusting you with a bag of gold. I'm giving you say-so, because I believe you're up to this. You'll use it wisely, but we've got voices in our head that says, I'm not trustworthy. You don't want to depend on me for anything. I'll just screw it up and let you down. The Lord comes to us and says, you can forgive the unforgivable and love the unlovable, but some of us have voices in our head that says, oh, I, I've always held grudges just like my dad. I don't forgive anybody. I just get mad. See, it all comes down to this, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? It comes down to that. Really, that's the most important question to answer in your life. On the one hand, you can believe all the voices that you've heard all your life, all the garbage that you've absorbed, all the you are statements that have ever been given to you that don't reflect the truth in Christ Jesus. You can believe what your dad said, mom said, what the brother said, sister said, what the guy did, the girl did, what happened on the bus, what happened to the playground, the bully in the yard, the person who called you this, the boss who thought you were worthless. All those tapes on your head, you can believe them if you want. But if you believe those, I guarantee you, you're, you're heading down a road of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sorrow, regret, it, 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 if you believe those lies, it will keep you from taking the bag of gold that you have and investing it passionately in, the, in, in, in kingdom work. You can believe those voices if you want, but they were all fallen, they were doing their best, but they were screwed up, they were jacked, and they had the same pollution in their brains, they're just passing on what they got. Why would you want to believe that? Alternatively, you could believe your creator. Your creator happens to be the one who made you. He made you in his image. He knows you. He, he knew you in your mother's womb, Psalms 139. He knows you inside and out. The one who gave his life for you and who bled for you. I encourage you to put your, all your trust and confidence in what he says about you. Let, his, let God be true and every person a liar. Now, if you find yourself on the weeping and gnashing of teeth, it doesn't mean God's done with you. Maybe you've rejected God in the past. Maybe you've shut him out, whatever. It doesn't mean God's done with you, but it does mean you're heading in a wrong direction. And what the Lord is calling on us to do then is to course correct, which is the word for that. The word for course correct is repent, metanoia in Greek. Turn around, start going in a different direction, and start believing that what God says about you is true. 
regardless of who, who contradicts it. Uh, start living and thinking as though what God says about you is true. That's what faith is. If God says you're righteous, start thinking about yourself that way. Start living that way, uh, acting that way. If God says that you're special, start thinking that way, acting that way. If God says you can do this, then you can do this. Start thinking that way, start acting that way. That's what faith is. It may even be the case that if you're finding yourself weeping and gnashing of teeth, you're finding yourself living in a frustrated, empty kind of uh, spot, um, your life just doesn't feel fulfilled, maybe depressed or whatever, so you're, you're just in a funk. Now, maybe it's the COVID thing, maybe it's the job thing, could be a lot of things, but consider this. It might be that you're in that situation precisely because you're not in the game. You, it's great that you're loved unconditionally, and that will always be true for you, but, but, but you're, main, you're meant for more than this. You're meant to be a doer, an activist, a part of the story. And so if you're sitting on your bag of gold, it's against your nature, and that's what makes people miserable. For your own sake, I encourage you to get in the game and start investing and start pouring yourself out and, and watch what that does, perhaps to the weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. There's all the scientific research that shows that if you're struggling with depression, emptiness, frustration, futility, all of that, meaninglessness, best thing you can do is, number one, give thanks for everything you've got. And that goes back to the first week of this pandemic. Keep on doing that. Keep a journal. Give thanks. But number two, serve people. Best... Medication against depression. Get out and serve. Uh, not against, I mean, medication's fine when you need it, but the kingdom is about service. And there, you enter into the joy of our master, the happiness of the master, when you take on the character of the master and you manifest the character of the master and do the deeds of the master. And you hear that well done and good and faithful servant. Now, now, see, God delights in that because God knows that now you are being all you can be. God's happy because you're happy. He's delighting you. I knew you had it in you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're living out all, all, all that we can. Uh, one more thing, and then I'll, 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 I'll close this. But it, it's, it, it's, some may, hearing this, maybe, maybe you're not fully in the game because of something in the past. Um, uh, you know, maybe you've had too many screw-ups, you think, in your mind, or, or the screw-ups that you've had have been too severe, but you've been kind of disqualified. You're in that second tier of Christians, the, the just-get-by category. Uh, you're never going to be one of those who are getting entrusted with ten bags of gold. You'll settle for just one and try to squeak by. You see, or maybe there's some people here who, who are, are you, you've lost your mojo for really being radical for Jesus because maybe you were involved in a radical group 14 years ago or 24 years ago and, and they were kind of a cult and they got crazy and they got weird so now you don't want to get good into that anymore and you associate being passionate with being cultic. I encourage you to reevaluate all of this. If you identify with those lies, it's, you'll be sitting on that bag of gold the rest of your life. Listen to what my quote said, which is reflected in what Jesus says, and that is this. The winner is not the one who never loses. You're going to take hits. The winner is the one who doesn't quit. So you keep on getting up. Consider this, that while see, you should never quit because God's never going to quit on you. And that's what Jesus' teachings about God in Luke 15 are all about. He keeps on going after you. Don't give up. Don't quit on God because God won't quit on you. And, and in fact, you are God's artwork. Philippians 1.6 says that he that begun a good work in you will see it through to the end. Uh, God's not done with you. Even if you're in a weeping and gnashing your teeth mode, God's not done with you. Uh, in fact, I don't think even when you're dead, God's not done with you. God's going to keep on going. As long as, there's, as, as long as there's hope for you to change, God's going to keep on pursuing you. Uh, you are God's work of art. And so God takes personal responsibility to see this through to the end, and you are the end through which he's going to see through. It is to your benefit to quickly, right now, yield to that and believe what God says about you and get in the game. So folks, um, uh, we, our, our job is we, we get secure, rest secure in the unconditional love of God, but out of the fullness of that love, 
let's live a life where we are living to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Take the bags of gold he's entrusted with us and invest them passionately. And, and there's, there's always time to do it and there's always right time to do it, pandemic or not. Look around and be asking the question. Uh, if we're faithful in few things, God will make us faithful in little. What are some few things in your life right now that, that God would, God is counting on you to manifest Christ's character towards. God is looking to you, trusting you to do, uh, to manifest, be an ambassador of his in the situation in which you find yourself. All right, I'd like to ask now, we're going to uh, go into a time of Q&A. Um, I'll, let, I'll make this point here that if you are, uh, if you would like some prayer or some counseling when we're done with this, there, there's a thing on the website where you can go and uh, get a counselor and, uh, or, or get prayer. We'll open that up as soon as we're done here. But now we're going to have our, what is the proper platform for this? How are we going to do this? Come on up. Bring them on in and do it safely. Everyone hold your breath for two minutes. Hi. Um, I'm Shauna, and we are going to enter into our Q&A portion now. Thank you for those of you who have sent in questions. We are joined with by David Morrow. Hi. Say hi, David. Yeah, hey, how's it going? Good. Long time no see, David. Oh, my goodness. Hey, uh, he, uh, just before I get the questions, you got to know this. This guy and his wife were, on, were going on a cruise in Florida on May, what was it, 10th? Mar well, March 14th. Yeah, March 14th. Yeah. And you were 10 minutes away from boarding a well, cruise. not 10 minutes, but a couple hours. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. it was... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it It was like 30 seconds. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> like whoa. And then they canceled the cruise. Yeah. And boy, did you get spared, because oh, there's some goodness. folks who were still out there in the ocean. They can't it's get off crazy. the cruise liner. So it's Thank crazy. God for that. Yeah. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. It's good to have you here. You could have had to like jump into the middle of the ocean and just fend for yourself. I, I mean, the downside is I think I would have been eating Eggs Benedict for about a, two months straight, which would have been fine. I would have been good with so that. So good. Yeah. No, I'm glad to be here. Well, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you will help keep Greg in line, right? That is an impossible task. I know. Yeah. I know. I dare you. But we're counting on you. <laughs> Make my day. <laughs> All right, Greg, you started out by uh, talking about a parable, and you did some explanation about parables. Yes. And so how can people know what the point of a parable is? Because you said that in some, they are pointing and reflecting of, reflective of God, and in others, they are more reflective of our natural uh, leadership around us and what's happening. And so there are those that could say, yeah, that's easy. Like, if we don't like that parable, that means it's not God. Mm. But if it's, yeah. a, if it's a sweet, loving one, then that's for sure God. So how <laughs> can we know the difference? Well, you just really? said, the, you said the difference. If you don't like it, just say that it's not. No, okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, really, the, the point of the parables is, is usually very obvious because Jesus makes it. Um, and, and what's interesting is that often the point that Jesus makes for the parable, and he says it explicitly, is the one that's missed by most contemporary readers. You know, so like, for example, with the, the case of the lady who wants to get her, her case heard by the unjust judge. And, 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 and so she's constantly, you know, knocking on the door. And finally the judge says, just to get this old lady off my back, I'm going to listen to her case. Well... Now you could say, well, is he talking that God, God is going to just hold on on people until they just beg him and beg him and beg him and bother him? No, that's not the point. He says the point. He goes, so also will the Son of Man find faith when he returns. He's talking about praying faithfully, and to pray faithfully, you pray persistently. So the persistence of this lady was the point, and that's what it is to have faith. It's got nothing to do with the judge. And so also just look for the lesson that Jesus is drawing out of it. And often it's about the, the, the ramifications, you know, the, the, that things have for our life. Mm -hmm. um, so this unjust judge has ramifications for this lady's life. Look at that and learn from it. And that's how a lot of the parables operate. Okay. 
David, do you have anything to add? I, I guess the only other thing I would add is that there can be a tendency, especially with the parables written in a culture that is so different from our own, to either interpret it based on our own lens or to domesticate the, the, true, the, like, the true power of the parable that in many cases it's supposed to provoke us mm. like it did in the time of Jesus. And, mm. and if we can fit it into our nice grid of, well, that works exactly the way I do my life, then there's probably something deeper there that should be confronting us. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Well, and we have a follow-up question that I'd like to, for both of you to tackle. Um, and that is, Greg, you talked about this isn't always about eternal ramifications or that the lesson uh, that we're trying to see and learn isn't for all eternity. Um, but how do you know if it is or if it's not? Like, is there a way in which, as people are reading through these parables, they can know that this is for forever or this is just for a, a moment to learn right here and now? Well, in... in, in in many of the parables, I, I won't say all of them, but uh, when it talks about rewards and punishments, the punishments are delimited. Uh, there's the, the servant that knew to do good and didn't do it, he'll get whipped with many whips, but the one who didn't know to do good, he'll have few. And, but th th they both come to an end. And, and uh, since one of these aspects of hell that is kind of a staple of Christian thinking is that it's final, um, uh, we interpret it whether it's differently, whether you endure it or it's just final in consequence. But, but it's, it's finality contradict what we're finding in these Gospels. And so the other thing is that in one sense it doesn't matter because if you're taking care of the road that you're on, the end, the destiny that you're going in will take care of itself. And so the teachings are all about here and now changing roads. That has implications for the next life, but it's about now. And the benefits and the rewards apply now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, you know, I, it just occurred to me, I forgot to invite people to send in questions. Did, 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 did folks know they could send in questions? Yes, I think it because was there the was a oh, was thing on the screen. Yeah. Oh, way to go. Folks. I, I totally forgot to announce that. So. <laughs> we cover your so back. Glad that, that, <laughs> so good our, our congregation is way smarter than I am. Otherwise, I'd be pretty confused. I would, I'm just making oh. these up on the fly, really. <laughs> that's that's no pretty impressive. <laughs> Oh, help us, David. Oh, I don't even remember what the question was. It's fine. It eternal ramifications. It, I, there are no eternal ramifications for any of this. I, no, this temporal is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll just... We'll move on. Okay, yeah. sounds good. Um, Greg told a chilling story about his glory days. Mm. Glory days. They'll pass you by. Yeah. Yeah. Running a race and just a being amazing. <laughs> just being amazing and then just kind of hitting that wall and yeah. just not being able to continue on. And I think many people can relate to that today. Mm. Like with what we're doing, we're, we've been running this race of staying at home and trying to make the best of the situation and people are just hitting that wall and unable mm. to continue mm. on and feeling tired yeah. and feeling like it's, it's coming up at them um, yeah. from behind. Do yeah. you have any words that could help people out? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess my main thing to say on that would just be to acknowledge that we're all in that together. Yeah. That it is normal for it to feel crazy, because it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I think about this language of, the, the word is liminal space. It's this, you're not where you were, and you're not where you want to be yet. Like, you're mm. in this place where you can't really find solid mm. ground and footing. And, and I think one of the practices that, for me, is most helpful is 
to just learn how to lament what I've lost, mm. is to learn to lament what isn't going well. To, to, I, I mean, I see it in the context where, where I work, working with people dealing with homelessness and addiction, where it's like all the norms that were already kind of jacked up have mm. gotten extra jacked up. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, you yeah. thought you were in a place that was already screwed up, and now the people that you could have reached out to, you can't anymore. And so I think, uh, I think the first part of recognizing and acknowledging what it feels like to hit the wall is just to proclaim that you're there and mm-hmm. to be able to like, acknowledge what hurts and acknowledge the pain and do it in whatever community you can or in, I mean, I'm thankful for Zoom. I hate Zoom, uh, but I'm thankful for it. I mean, but, but to find somebody that you can just sit and Absolutely, say, can we yeah, have a yeah. lament session together yeah. and to s- talk about what it feels like to hit the wall and to know even though it feels like it's never going to end, it will. Yeah. It will yeah, actually yeah, yeah. end, and this there's hope. Crucial. Yeah, yeah. It, and we don't have to pretend it's not happening because it right. it is happening. <laughs> yeah. And for some folks, um, I, I know one person who's they don't even understand why, but they're responding to this very poorly. Uh, mm. Their anxiety has gone through the ceiling and all mm. this. Um, and and for this person, it's been crucial to just be creative. I mean, you have to think of creative ways of making contact with others because yeah. uh, there are ways out there, but but. Uh, they're they're not our normal. We don't normally just Zoom our small group and Zoom our friends, whatever, mm-hmm. or Zoom our grandkids or whatever. Yeah. But those that you have to do that if you're going to keep in contact. And I encourage people to keep in as much contact as as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. Yeah. In these moments of stress, not to just withdraw within yourself even more. Like you have to intentionally reach out, mm-hmm. and it may not be natural or easy, but I think it's going to yep. be life-saving for many people. You know, one thing I another thing I, I found helpful. Uh, is is just as things that seem to be permanent have gone away, like Major League Baseball you know, and soccer, and, and, and being able to, to watch your kids play sports during the summer, and all the, you know those painful losses, things that you thought you could count on are not there anymore, and that for me has made the one thing I can count on all the more precious. Mm. The unchanging eternal stability of Jesus is so precious in a world where nothing else is stable. Mm. And so I encourage folks to really grab hold of that, that rock. Yeah. Mm. Amen to that. So necessary. So if we can't do anything good on our own, then what does it mean and what does it look like to uh, try our best to make God proud? Like, what, what does it even matter? If, if it's not on our own, then what are we doing to try to make him proud? Make him smile upon us, like you talked about. I wouldn't say we can't do anything good on our own, but I don't think we can do anything kingdom. Uh, that's of a distinct kingdom value. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, here's the thing. It's not on our own. Um, but but it is it, it, but it's in relationship that that, that we, we do these things. So what it makes means to make mm-hmm. God proud is that we we, we, we play our part. Yeah. We don't do it all on our own. Right. But we play our part, and part of our part is to be getting our fuel for doing anything from Christ. Mm-hmm. So part of what pleases God is when we're dependent on God for the love and the zeal and the passion by which we're now going to live a life that's pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. I love how you described it as we are, we are partnering. We are invited to be a partner with God in the things he wants to do in the world. Yep. That is so cool. I, I think it's, you know, Colossians 1, uh, passage I just had my head 
constantly since this thing started. But God is right now working throughout the cosmos to reconcile all things by means of the cross. That's what it says. So God's out there working, bringing reconciliation, and we are invited to partner with that. God's mm -hmm. doing this thing in the world. Most people don't know about it, but we do, and we get to partner. And we partner knowing that that is the... This is the gig that's going to win in the end. Right. And so it's a tremendous opportunity and privilege that we have. And that's how also we grow into Christ-likeness. Amen. Mm -hmm. David, uh, Greg said, we get to, not we got to. Yeah. Can you expand upon that a little bit? You know, I... I, I I think that, I mean, one of the things that Greg talked about, too, was the, the tendency within religion to turn all these beautiful get-tos into this, right, like, right, yeah. just painful got-to. Right. And, and I, think, I think one of the things that, uh, when I think about that, that we're confronted with is this get-to around relationship that mm. pushes against our cultural rampant individualism, that Yes, uh, we are called to, to follow God and to seek out the good uh, uh, of others in our community and we're to do that in a way that actually blesses the community around us and blesses people and gets us in this crazy moment where we, I think as a community, have never felt more alone and yet we're more aware of how interconnected we are. Yes. That the, there's like, I, I know that what I do affects other people and so I'm being called to not just not just like do my own thing but to recognize that if I don't get out of that individualistic mindset I can't actually mm -hmm. be what God is calling me to be and what I get to be yeah. for the community that I'm in yeah, yeah. oh that's good Thank that's you. That's good. Thanks. I'm not. I, I sound surprised, but yeah, I'm not no, surprised. <laughs> that's why you're here. Say something right. No, that's why you're here. Even a blind bird. There's a gun. There is a gun. <laughs> well, Greg really uh, painted this beautiful picture of of us um, pleasing God and Him saying "Well done" to us and even smiling upon us. And um, but for some, for many, that is a really difficult image for them to conjure because not just the things that they. They're believing, like you talked about, the voices that they're believing, but they just haven't had healthy experiences of mm -hmm. a parent saying, well done, or someone that cared for them saying, right, good right. job. And so how can they envision that with God, the almighty God, when they haven't had those human, tangible mm -hmm. examples? Yeah, I mean, when, when I was hearing Greg talk about that, the visual coming to my mind was like, yeah, you might have one bag of gold, but your experience of that bag of gold is that it's got a hole in the bottom. Mm. And like, you mm. every time you look in there, it just, yeah, it got filled up and then just keeps draining out based on all the different experiences that you've had or the, the socioeconomic status you have or the race that you are. Whatever like cultural situation you're in keeps digging more holes into the bottom, bottom of that bag and so you keep needing mm. to refill it. And so I think one of the pieces that, that we talk around, uh, about around here at Woodland Hill so often is how do I reinvigorate my mind with the truth of who God says I am? Yes. And I think so much of that means, okay, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be like loved with an unquenchable love? What, what is it like to be able to allow those things to sink into my psyche to such a degree that when I look into that bag and it looks like it keeps falling and the holes keep getting bigger and the culture tells me things that are true or not true about me, that I have this reservoir of the truth of who God says I am that is just thick. 
and has a depth to it that goes beyond anything that uh, I might have been told or culture might tell me or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Good word. Yeah, That's a really good word. It's also, I, I think, uh, and it's stretching the analogy a little bit maybe, but but you know, uh, sometimes people think that they're losing, their bag of gold isn't that worth very much or they don't have very much gold or whatever because of, of the, the world doesn't value it, okay? I, who am I? I'm a little nobody. I got, you know, I, I don't have much talent in this or whatever or made my life experiences have damaged me so I've got these wounds and I don't, I don't, I don't bring much to the table. I don't have much to offer. I, I, how can I impress God? But here it's really important to remember that the kingdom, the way the kingdom evaluates uh, things is so different from the way of the world. Yeah. And it actually it's kind of opposite. So like the, Jesus tells a story about that widow uh, who had, a, she only had a penny, but she put it in the offering. Mm -hmm. But uh, she, Jesus says she put in more than all the other folks who put in all these big sums. Mm -hmm. That's because it, she gave out of uh, her sacrifice. Uh, it wasn't a leftover, it was from her heart. Yeah. And that is what gives value to anything in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So if your heart is in it, if you have a sacrificial heart, Whatever you do is gold. Yes. My dad, at the end of his life, uh, right towards the end, last year, he had a major stroke and, and mm -hmm. could hardly talk or anything and, and uh, had no mobility. And so I said, Dad, I, I want to, you know, you've got a lot of time in your hands now and I don't, so can I make you my prayer warrior? Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a really important job description. I gave him a whole theology of prayer and whatever. And this is so important. Mm -hmm. and that you, Will you do this? Because you're the only person I know that's got this kind of time. Kind of time. And his, his response was kind of cute. Uh, he, 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 my dad, who was so full, so prideful earlier on and, and smart, but he turned into, kind of, he had just this childlike innocence towards mm -hmm. the end of his life. And he, and he goes, uh, uh, sure, I, I, I'd love to do that. But, but would the good Lord mind if I just think the prayers instead of speaking? Because my speaking is kind of hard right now. Because oh, he had this yeah. Bell's palsy. Because yeah. can I just think the prayers? And I go, oh, that, that counts, Dad. But see, it's, the littlest might, the widow's might becomes gold, a bag of gold, when in the hands of the master. And so don't evaluate yourself based on what the world thinks about you. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, it's based on what Christ thinks about you, and that's pure heart. That's pure heart. Where's your heart? Yeah, we all good. have a bag of gold, right? Bags of gold. Bags of gold. <laughs> Amen to that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for sending in your questions. I know it's like I'm a broken record but when I say, but we can never get to them all, and so we just really appreciate it. And just to know that um, you have a role to play in the kingdom, and you Ooh, have yeah. value, and you have bags of gold, and you have say-so. So, so accept his invitation. Accept that partnership, and do what you can do for the kingdom. Amen. We have had some really cool things happening around here. You alluded to a few of them earlier, Greg, but uh, we started these gathering groups, these online communities this week, and it has been so cool. We've had people from all over. I mean, literally all over. India, um, France, the UK. It's great. From the South. I mean, <laughs> it's just been really neat. We love Texas. We love Texas. We do, we do. But it's been really neat just to see how worldwide this community really is. And so if you would like to jump on and be a part of those gathering groups, you can still do that. You can uh, sign up via the website. And um, we have asked you guys for help in some tangible ways uh, with masks, making masks at home, and, and making cards at home from some, for some of our senior community. And thank you so much for doing that. And if you would still like to, we are still taking them. So yes, Greg just gave you guys a, a, a round of applause. You so, guys Stars. Yeah, we stars. so great. Please continue to do that. Um, we really appreciate it, and the community really appreciates.
appreciates it. And then remember, if you have a prayer need, we have uh, prayer partners waiting for you um, in private Zoom rooms. Say that three times fast. In private Zoom rooms to pray with you. And so please hop online and, and make sure that you get your need met in that way. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we are going to close out in prayer. David, will you pray for us? Sure, I'd love to. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Father God, uh, I am so grateful that your faith in us is not contingent on all of the dynamics and craziness of the world. And so God, we pray that as we attempt to walk in whatever the gifts and talents and strengths you have given us are, that you would give us the strength to move beyond fear. Mm. Uh, God, in the midst of a culture that is just rampant with fear, we want to be a community of people that follow you Mm -hmm. with courage. So God, would you help us to differentiate between caution Mm. and fear? And we want to be people that follow you with wisdom, but do it in a way that breathes life into the world that needs it desperately right now. So God, we thank you. We love you. Pray your blessing over this community, over all that are tuned in here. And uh, God, we love you. Amen. 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 God bless. All right. right. Remind them about the pictures that are going to be Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, Stick around. Uh, uh, We've got uh, probably a couple minutes worth of wonderful theological art. It's a little known fact. We have got the best artists in the universe. So check out this, 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 this art.